So the reading of the Word, God's Word, comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Four words. Thou shalt not murder. The grass withers and the flowers fade. This morning, as we look at the Sixth Commandment, which as was just read for us, tells us not to murder, uh, many of us will expect a two or three minute sermon because we will think, check, hadn't done that, good to go. Many of us uh, have been affected in our broader family circles by the tank of life, and what do I mean by that? I'll tell you in a minute. But the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 40, regarding the Sixth Commandment, says, We should not belittle, insult, hate, or kill our neighbor by thought, word, look, or gesture. So as you're beginning to find out, there's a plain reading of the Ten Commandments, but then there's much more going on than first meets the eye. Three things I'm going to look at this morning. What is commanded regarding murder? What is forbidden regarding murder? And how can we live in a violent world? Uh, Three things regarding what's commanded. First and probably most importantly is to recognize the sanctity of life. We read that God created man in Genesis 1, 26-27 in His image. This is different from the rest of creation. We read of the first murder In Genesis chapter 4, when Cain kills his brother Abel, and Abel's blood cries out to God from the ground, and Cain himself is punished and exiled. You can't get two, three, four chapters into the Bible without recognizing life is set apart. Human life is very significant. All human life is very significant and it's given by God. And after the fall, our natural proclivity is to get rid of each other in any way possible. To one-up each other and to put ourselves first at any cost even the taking of life. But God says in the book of Genesis that life should be sanctified. And this morning, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. 
with regards to what is commanded. Since we believe in the sanctity of life, of all human life, we're to preserve life. Larger Catechism 135 says we should take careful study and all lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others. How do you do that? Several ways. The Old Testament and the New Testament have room for capital punishment. Capital punishment was used in the Old Testament to deter the further loss of life. You read in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And there you have it again. The anchor to everything that is said about the sixth commandment has nothing to do with American politics. American politics borrows from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, on anything that we would say positively about life. The reason the Old Testament, the Bible itself, has capital punishment is not because it doesn't take life seriously. It's because it takes life seriously. It doesn't want the further taking of life. Countless texts say the breaking of many of these very commandments resulted in capital punishment. Exodus 21 says, Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, wound for a wound. Kevin DeYoung in his uh, little book on the Ten Commandments comments that this, this is not cruel. It set the precedent that the punishment must fit and not exceed the crime. So in the Bible, by having that legislation, it's saying you can't take life unjustly. You can't decide cruel and unusual punishment that does not fit the crime. That's illegal. It has to fit the crime. This is also uh, the instruction in Romans 13 for the civil magistrate. We discussed very briefly last week the role of the civil government, the role of possible civil disobedience with regards to authority. I won't read much of Romans 13, but Paul is very clear that even the Roman government, as horrifying as it was and as pagan as it was, was ordained by God with the power of the sword but to do good, to protect the innocent, to preserve life. Even in the book of Acts, a man named Cornelius, a centurion, was converted and was not therefore told to leave the army. But the reason for him being in the army and things that he would or would not do certainly would have changed after becoming a believer. So therefore... It's safe to say, just war theory is biblical. Even though there are many professing believers that would say that they are hardcore pacifists. 
if you have questions about that, I have a very helpful book, More in Peace and Christianity, that I would love to read with you. Larger Catechism says, 135, again, there is just defense against violence. It's not violence for violence's sake. There's violence to prevent further violence. But thirdly, preserving life could look like self-defense. Self-defense of any kind is allowable, but what's the purpose of it? Not just to take life. To preserve life or the life of others. Exodus 22, uh, we'll get there in a few months. Verses 2 and 3. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. It's self-defense. It's preserving your own life or the life of someone else in the taking of another life. Again, Larger Catechism 136. It tells us what's forbidden, which I'll, I'll go there in a minute, in the Sixth Commandment. But it says, except in case of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense. Some of you are officer candidates. And you will, if you pass your exams, will stand before the congregation and take vows to uphold the constitution of this denomination. I'm reading from it. We must preserve life in all those areas that I just said that are even from the larger catechism. But there's also a a deeper meaning to this. We're also commanded here to reconcile and forgive. And you're thinking, where, where do you read that in the sixth commandment regarding murder? The taking of life. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that any, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now I'll talk about anger in a moment. But what's, what's being said positively there about the sixth commandment by Jesus is echoed in the Heidelberg Catechism 107. It says that we should show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and all kindness towards him, as anybody else, and prevent his hurt as much as in us lies, and that we would do good even to our enemies. There's a a posture of a willingness to not harbor hate in our hearts. Because what is that going to lead to? premeditations of other things. And Jesus condemns all of it. So therefore, positively, we should say that we're commanded to be reconcilers, to be peacemakers, to be forgivers. We don't hold grudges. We don't hate each other. Anyone in here, even an enemy, So therefore, 
being peaceful, being people who want to reconcile, being people who want to forgive. It's, if, that's, if that's not you, if, if that's not your wife, officer candidacy should definitely be off the table. But it goes so much deeper than that, obviously. Because as a believer, you're called to be reconcilers, to be forgivers, to not hate people. Must preserve life, but why? Because God made it. Because God made every human being, regardless of where they're from, how old they are, how able or disabled they are, in His image. And the taking of it should only be in the further preservation of it. But that's what's, that's what's commanded regarding the sixth commandment. Well, what, what would be forbidden then regarding murder? There's several implications. One would be obvious intentional murder. Larger Catechism 136 about what, what's forbidden in the Sixth Commandment. I'm going to read this. It's going to go all over the place. All taking away the life of ourselves or of others, except for those things that I just mentioned. The neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of preserving of life. Sinful anger. Hatred, envy, desire of revenge, all excessive passions, distracting cares, immoderate use of meat, drink, labor, and recreations, provoking words, oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding, and whatsoever else tends to the destruction of the life of any. Pretty expansive. I'll cover all of it in just due time. Part of it, though, is in reference to premeditated murder or voluntary manslaughter. Deuteronomy 19, the first 13 verses, draws distinctions between accidental death uh, and death motivated by hatred. And they're both covered. They're both covered in the sixth commandment. Let me get into some biblical specifics. We can talk about abortion. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. The Didache uh, was a very early church document. And it says, do not murder a child by abortion or kill a newborn infant. Because that is what was going on in the first, second, and third centuries. Not just today. John Calvin, during the time of the Reformation, essentially said the same thing, and I won't block quote him. Exodus 21-24, when it mentions an eye for an eye, part of the context of that is two men are fighting, and one of them even accidentally strikes a pregnant woman. And there are two scenarios. She delivers, and the baby's okay. No harm, no foul. She delivers, 
stillbirth, there's liability. Why? Innocent life has been taken, even accidentally. Friends, our culture does not talk about the negative aspects of this hot topic political issue. But after the event of abortion, there could be grief, there could be depression, there can be PTSD, and friends, there can be forgiveness. But we must not listen to our own culture's warfare from either side on this very important issue. I need to talk about a couple of other things. Suicide is a sin. Not the unforgivable sin, but it's a sin. Because self-murder is murder. There's five suicides in the Bible. We have Judges 9, 1 Samuel 31, 2 Samuel 17, 1 Kings 16, and famously Matthew 27. Two godly men in the Old Testament, Job and Jonah, ask God to take their life. And in those situations and all of the other situations, it's looked upon unfavorably. I like what Kevin DeYoung says. Suicide might feel like the only way out, but Scripture tells us that God will never lead us into a situation where violating His commandments is the only option. Your life is precious to God, even when you have concluded that it is pointless. If somebody needs to reach out about that, I'd be happy to take a phone call 24 hours a day. So would any of our officers. Don't do it. Please reach out if you want to talk about that. There is forgiveness. There is a way out. And your life matters. I know there are situations where we have family members or friends where this has occurred, and it may have been because of some other trauma in their life. It may have been because of mental illness, maybe even through a trauma. And one day when I was pastoring in Macomb and I was driving home from an out-of-town trip, I received a phone call from a deacon from a previous church about someone who had done this. But it was because of mental illness. So again, while we say that self-murder is murder, there can be forgiveness. Euthanasia is tricky. Because we aren't necessarily talking about all palliative care measures. In many instances, it can be merciful and best to cease treatment and to start palliative care. Psalm 41.1 says, Blessed are those who have regard for the weak, but many laws, as you and I are aware, especially in the West, in Europe, and in Canada. Heavily advocate for physician-assisted suicide based on weak definitions of compassion that are significantly dangerous. While I don't have time in the moment to go through 
all the ins and outs of that complicated topic. I'm happy to say that as we have seminars at General Assembly this summer, one, I don't know if he's going to do it again, but one that has been done before is by my mentor in the philosophy department at Covenant College. His name is Bill Davis, and he wrote a book a few years ago, Departing in Peace, Biblical Decision-Making at the End of Life. So there's guidance there for making these decisions from a biblical perspective, from a ruling elder in our denomination who will often have seminars based on this topic at General Assembly. If you want to ask me more questions about that, I can put you in touch with him. But we want to preserve life rather than just take it. What about negligent homicide? Deuteronomy 22.8 When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. So a parapet was a little fence around the roof of your house. If you, if you weren't aware, in the Middle East, it's very hot. And several hundred years ago, there was no air conditioning. Where did you go to cool off? You would go up to the roof. But you would be guilty if you had not put a fence up on your roof and someone fell and died. Negligent homicide. Exodus 21, again, 28 and 29. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned, but has not kept it in and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. Well, I don't have ox in my yard. But many of us have a pool, and we have laws that regulate certain scenarios. Where do we get those ideas? From the Bible. That's condemned by the sixth commandment. But again, going, going back to anger, this is also prohibited in the sixth commandment. Matthew 5, again, what Jesus had said. Here's Heidelberg 106. But this commandment seems only to speak of murder. In forbidding murder, God teaches us that He abhors the causes thereof, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that He accounts all these as murder. Uh, apparently, um, previous CCEF counselor, David Pallison, who's since passed away, he wrote a book on anger. Is a chapter entitled, Do You Have a Serious Problem with Anger? I love this. The chapter contents, one word, yes. The answer is yes. All of you, and myself included, have anger issues rooted in the fact that we're not in control of our lives or the lives of our loved ones. That makes us angry. 1 John 3.15, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So obviously what's being rooted out here is any premeditation of anger, hate, and envy against anyone. If it's 
taking murder that seriously and life preserving of it that seriously, then one of the things that our culture must be convicted of is how we entertain ourselves. What forms of entertainment and any kind of stuff that you would watch on any type of anything, anything that we watch, the violence of certain sports, the violence of sitcoms or or movies or shows, what is it doing to us? What is it desensitizing us? Are we wrapping our minds around the significance of not simply don't commit murder, but all premeditations, even actions, Friends, everything that I've said for the last five minutes can be forgiven. It can be forgiven at the foot of the cross. But many of it will require us to take our own sin very seriously. With what we have done in the past, with how we think about our brothers and sisters in this room, or people in Hernando, or people around in our office places, with regards to how we deal with our anger, and how we think about other people. How do we conclude? Well, how can we live in what we know as a horrifyingly violent world? even though for the most part, you and I are spared from the worst aspects of it. We have to receive forgiveness. I just said that everybody has an anger problem. And based on Jesus' understanding, that means we've all broken the sixth commandment, which we, we all thought walking in here was one that we had escaped. Oh, I haven't done that, so I'm, I'm good today. Well, Jesus says again in Matthew 5, Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny regarding your anger. And Kevin DeYoung points out that anger will never satisfy. And if we insist on trying to pour out God's wrath, then we will be the one to drink it. But everything that I said this morning, every cultural issue, everything that you may or may not have done in the past. Matthew 26, 39 records Jesus saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What's that cup? It's God's holy, righteous anger against sin. Against our sin. Everything that we have done, you've been spared eternally. Someone innocent has the blame put on him, and he has drank that cup and paid with his own atoning blood for all of your sins. Every single one that I have listed this morning. Through repentance, there is forgiveness. Because we have been spared the wrath of God. 
And so therefore, we can be forgivers. We can be reconcilers. We don't have to harbor our anger regardless of what's happened to us. Because it's not quite as bad as what should have happened to us. We don't have to be envious of other people. We don't have to be bitter. We don't have to take justice into our own hands, even in this life when there may be injustice. Because the king will return and right all of your wrongs on your behalf. So therefore, we can act in such a way to preserve life, to protect life, and even to promote life. Through getting rid of our anger. Through submitting in Romans 13 to the authority of the civil magistrate, but calling it out or civilly disobeying when asked to do counter to Scripture. I'll leave you with, again, the words from the larger Catechism 135, which is a call to all of us. This is what's commanded in the Sixth Commandment. Preserve the life of yourself and others. Subdue all passions. Give just defense against violence. Have a sober use of meat, drink, physique, sleep, labor, and recreations. Have love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, peaceableness. Be mild and courteous in our speeches and behavior. Be ready to be reconciled. Be patient and forgive injuries. Comfort the distressed. Protect and defend the innocent. In three words, be like Jesus. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, it is with heavy hearts that we come to a text like this as some of us have been victimized unjustly. Maybe we are the perpetrator. Like either one, we need to go to the cross for repentance and forgiveness where we will find it bountifully. And Lord, as we heard this morning from two of our deacons and as was prayed by two of our elders, would you use the, not only the office of deacon in this church, to extend mercy. But use that office to mobilize the rest of us to extend mercy to a hurting world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.